Let's begin here, Easter, living life with hope. Now, let me ask you guys a quick question. Do y'all have any idea what IMDb, y'all know what IMDb is, right? The International Database for Movies and Motion Pictures. Did you know what the very best movie according to IMDb is? The Godfather. The Godfather. They say that's the best. See, God's in it, all right? So he's already in it. So The Godfather is considered the best movie. Do y'all know what the second best movie, according to IMDb, it's actually got better ratings than The Godfather. It is the second best movie of all time, according to IMDb. If you were here in the first service, don't be blurting anything out. You'll probably never guess. And you would probably never guess who wrote the actual book that the whole thing is based on. All right, you guys ready for it? Drum roll, please. It's three of us. Come on, let's try this again. All right, drum roll, please. The Shawshank Redemption. How many of you know this movie? How many of you have seen this movie before? All right, well, I'm not saying anything great about the movie or anything like that. I am gonna tell you that if you remember when this was released, I want you to raise your hand. Anybody? You remember when this was released? Congratulations, you're old. Uh, 1990, that's almost three decades ago that this was released. It seems like yesterday to those of us who have gray hair or like we were talking about earlier, no hair. So that's how it is. But the Shawshank Redemption, look at Morgan Freeman. Look at his face. I mean, my goodness, he was young back then. It's been a minute, right? So here is the Shawshank Redemption. If you don't know the story, spoiler alert, after 30 years, I don't know if that's a thing, but basically... Uh, Anthony Robbins, Tony Robbins' character, Andy Dufresne, is put into a place that is devoid of hope. It is the Shawshank prison, and uh, he is spending uh, probably close to a life sentence there. And so as he's walking through his time there in the prison, he's struggling to have any kind of hope in his life. But it's very interesting because the entirety of this is summed up in that tagline that's at the very top. Fear can hold you prisoner. Would you guys read that line right underneath it? Hope can set you free. Now, if you did not know who wrote this story that this is based on, are you guys ready? Stephen King, the author Stephen King wrote this book. He also wrote Stand By Me that became a movie later on. Some of you guys didn't know that. Any of y'all learning something already today? Okay, all right. So you can't say you didn't learn anything today, all right? Here's where we are. Let me begin with this place. There are two quotes that I wanna share with you that go perfectly with the idea of Easter from Andy Dufresne's character in Shawshank Redemption. It says, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of all things and no good thing ever dies. Now, I'm not sure that no good thing ever dies, but I do believe that hope might be the one thing in life that absolutely is essential to a life that is enjoyed and lived well. The second thing is that thing that we just spoke out loud. Fear can hold you prisoner, but hope can set you free. Let's go to our next slide here. This is our something to learn. And hopefully this is one more thing that you can learn as you leave. The word Messiah and Christ are the same title. They're from two different languages. Christ is a Greek word. It means the anointed one. Messiah is from Hebrew. It is also meaning the anointed one. So it's really a title. The anointed one sent of God. This is what it is. So anytime somebody referred to him as Jesus Christ, 
It was another way of saying that he was the Messiah that the Jews had been looking for for centuries and even millennia. There was a mixture of teachings about what the reign of that Messiah would be, but most believed it to be an earthly reign, including, wait for it, including his disciples. Now you're like, okay, cool. So what are you telling me? Why does this matter? I'm glad I pretended you ask. Here we go. Here's what I would say. Here's why it matters. Put yourself in the sandals of the disciples. They are expecting Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, to establish an earthly reign. You guys with me? Y'all understand? So this is their expectation. And Palm Sunday comes along. And they're thinking, this is exactly what we signed up for. Look at this crowd. Listen to these people. This is awesome. Hosanna to the son of David. They're draping their cloaks. They're throwing down palm branches. He's riding into Jerusalem. It's a hero's welcome. Everything feels like it's right on track. Are you guys with me? Friday and Thursday happen. Thursday's the Passover meal. He gets arrested in the evening and into the early morning hours, goes through a trial, and by very early in the morning, he has been arrested, beaten, spit upon, mocked, and he is literally hanging on the cross before the morning is even through on Friday. Can you imagine the whiplash that's going on in these disciples' hearts and minds? We knew he was the Messiah. He even told us he's the Messiah. How in the world is he up on a cross dying? This does not fit. You guys understand what's happening here? Okay, so here's what I ask you and how you and I fit into this story. How many times have you had something happen in your life where it just didn't fit with what you expected? Can I see a hand? Can I hear? Amen. I mean, we've been there. How many times have you thought to yourself, and maybe even verbalized it once or twice when nobody is around, especially not the preacher, God, how could you let this happen to me? You know what? It's okay, by the way. You can question God. Y'all don't tell other preachers that I told you that you could, but I promise you can. It's true. We can talk about it another time. But it is okay to question God because sometimes what we expect and even what we think is supposed to happen does not always play out the way that it does in our minds. And we're wondering and we're thinking to ourselves, God, where did I go wrong? Where did I miss you? Where were you leading? Was I just confused? I thought I knew what you were going to do, but I'm clearly not on the same page with you. This is all happening for the disciples. They're not bad people. They're not non-believers. They are the followers, the very first followers of Christ. So it's no surprise that we deal with that and they dealt with it as well. And I want you to think about on Friday, that morning where Jesus has been arrested, they all flee And as Jesus is stretched out on the cross, he looks down and instead of seeing 11 minus Judas, you know, the 12 minus Judas, instead of seeing 11, he sees one. It's John and his mom and some of the ladies who have been following him. The rest are nowhere to be found. I can't imagine that the human side of Jesus looked down and went, this is great. 
This is exactly what I wanted. Those friends of mine that have spent every single moment of every single day for the last three years following me and claiming to be willing to go to death before they would turn their back on me. Here they are and they're nowhere to be found. I'm at the darkest moment of my life and they're nowhere to be found. That would have to be hard, wouldn't it? And let me just tell you, if you've ever endured a Good Friday moment in your life, where it feels like nothing makes sense and God is nowhere to be found and neither are the friends that you thought would never leave you, if you've ever faced that moment, I've got great news. Good Friday has to happen before Easter Sunday. Can I get an amen? I mean, thank God that Easter Sunday does come even in the midst of the dark moments and the good Fridays that we have to endure. And so as I talk with you today, I want you to understand that these things that we're reading about, these things that Paul read about just a moment ago from John chapter 20, man, they make perfect sense because we've been there in some way, shape, or form. Every one of us has been there and we've dealt with this stuff before. And I'm thanking God that he doesn't pretend that it's all sunshine and rainbows in the biblical times, but bad people and struggles like me that, you know, that I have, those are not really true or not really biblical or not really holy. The truth is, is that all of this stuff is normal. He told his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because why? I have overcome the world. And just to kind of roll that back a little bit, the Messiah idea in Matthew, pardon me, in John chapter six, there were people that at the height of Jesus's popularity wanted to come and make him a king by force. I believe that it's up here on the screen as you see this next slide. He wanted, they wanted him to be a king by force. He withdrew because that was not what kind of kingdom he wanted to build. It's the kind of kingdom they wanted him to build. You know why? Because if you've got somebody who could take five loaves and two fish and feed a whole army's worth of people, now you've really got a military leader that's worth following. He's miraculous. He cares about us. He'll provide for our needs. Our armies will be undefeated. But that's not what he came to do. Now, don't miss this, and it's very important that we grasp it, and let's go to our next slide. Most of the time, people still value the temporary over the timeless. If you've ever struggled to value the temporary over the timeless, can I hear an amen? I mean, we've all been there, right? Sometimes the temporary has such an allure, and the timeless just seems so far away. But most of us still put our focus on an enjoyable moment over something that is eternally meaningful. Here's what I want to share with you. The disciples didn't get it. Let's not miss it. The truth is, is that if Jesus would have established a temporary kingdom, we would have forgotten his name long ago. He would have just been a Jewish leader that nobody can remember from human history. You guys understand what I'm saying? You guys here. Okay, so ultimately, by choosing God's plan rather than man's plan, by choosing to disappoint in the moment but give something of eternal significance and value, Jesus disappointed them, and then they came to understand. Now, I know for you and I, we've all been there before, where what has happened to us in the moment feels like an absolute slap in the face, and a confusing thing that we cannot just make it reconcile with what we thought. But later we've understood 
God was actually at work. I just did not see it then. I didn't see it on Friday, but now I'm starting to understand on Sunday. And then he shows up again and says, peace be with you. I'm leaving this place, but I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit to go with you wherever you are. No longer a bodily form, but God in you directing your life and your path and your steps wherever you go all throughout this Roman world. You will have that presence instead of the physical presence. Widen your horizons. You see what I'm saying? And God gave them something eternally significant that we are literally dealing with Hundreds of millions of people celebrating and billions of people celebrating Easter Sunday, not because of a Jewish person that ruled in a national sense, but because a Jewish Messiah showed up, sacrificed himself, and gained victory over death by resurrecting. That's how it became something eternally significant. And in the moment, it felt wrong. But looking back, it feels oh so right that ultimately we don't have to have a life without hope. But instead, we are alive with hope because he is alive. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? All right, amen. All right, very good. Now, let's keep moving here and let's go to our big idea. The big idea here is to live in hope. We must walk by faith, not by sight. This is a passage of scripture from Hebrews. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not yet see. We must walk by faith, not by sight. That's how we live in hope. And what does that mean? Here's what it means. Let's go to our next slide. How this idea plays out. That means we live according to God's purposes and not other people's opinions. It means we choose right over right now. It means that we know that God is the one who has the final say in our lives. It's not circumstances. It's not those who hate us. It's not other people. It's not even my own plan for my own life because God is the one who has the ultimate say in your life. And so it's so important that we grasp that we walk by faith and not by what? Sight. Let's go to our next slide. This is the big idea again, and I always ask you guys to repeat it just so at least once you hear your own words coming out of your own mouth saying these things. So real quickly on the count of three, I want us to share it together to live in hope, walk by faith, not by sight. Okay, ready? One, two, three. To live in hope, walk by faith, not by sight. And 2 Corinthians says we live by faith, not by sight. The very big idea that I'm sharing with you guys today. Let's go to our next slide. Let's talk very, very quickly about something that can be found on namb.net. It is the North American Mission Board for the Southern Baptist Church. And you can look at this passage uh, that they have written, this particular article about the empty tomb of Jesus. And let me just share with you very, very quickly. I know that some of you are full-fledged believers. You don't doubt that there is something to the idea of a resurrection, that there is truly a God who is alive that was once dead and has conquered death. For some, this is a special day because it's Easter Sunday and it may not be what you think, but let me just share with you very, very quickly a handful of reasons that I'd say that I believe and it's just some things that you can kind of take a look at and there's more, but let's just go here. 
In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Peter wrote these words and he said, let me just share with you all the things that I have told you. They're not a clever story that we made up. We literally experience these things. We've, we've seen them with our own eyes. We, we live those things with Jesus. It's not some clever story. And let me just share this with you. It would not have been a woman who arrived first if they were writing up some clever story. Now, ladies, especially ladies, listen to me for just a second. I am not your enemy here, okay? I'm telling you what was, not what should have been, all right? So hopefully we're still friends, ladies, all we're still friends. But back in that time, if you were a woman, your ideas your testimony in a court of law were not seen at the same weight as a man. Now, we have truly evolved, ladies. Can I get an amen? I mean, clearly, we've evolved. We've left the dark ages where we thought men were smarter than we- uh, Hold on. All right. I- Sorry. I'm trying to walk that fine line right between the two of you, right? Right between the men and the women. Oh, somebody. <clears throat> All right. Well, it would not have been a woman that arrived first because back then in that sexist time, in that misogynistic society, a woman's weight was not given the same uh, degree of veracity. They were not thought to be uh, as trustworthy as men for some odd reason. And then they would have been saying, okay, instead of Peter or, or Matthew, the tax collector, or you know John, these just common ordinary fishermen, let's talk about some other followers of Jesus who have some of these great things like Nicodemus, who's a well-respected biblical teacher, or Joseph of Arimathea, who's this person who gave him the tomb where he was buried. Like, let's let them be the spokesperson for the resurrection of Christ. Let's say that they witnessed it, but that's not true. That's not what they said. You heard what Paul read a few moments ago from John chapter 20. He basically said that it was Mary and then it was Peter and John. Mary comes to the tomb, sees that the stone is rolled away, so freaked out by it. That's the the New Texas version, okay? So freaked out by it, she runs and goes and gets them, brings them back to the tomb. She's standing there. One of them runs in. One of them waits outside. And there's this like disjointedness. How many of y'all know that that sounds a lot like real life, right? I mean, it sounds a lot like real life. You want it to be neat and fit into boxes and all the right people to say the right things. People don't get their lines, right? They don't, they don't know what they should say at the moment they should say it. They don't do the things that they should do at the moment they should do it. Why? Because it's real life. It's a little bit messy. And as this is all happening, they would not have chosen a tax collector or a couple of common ordinary fishermen. They would have chosen other believers to be the ones who heralded what they had seen. But it's just real life. And there you can see also that there's a location of the tomb and the birth of the movement in Jerusalem. To this day, there are archaeological sites. Now, how many of you know that Jews don't get along with Christians and Christians usually don't get along with Jews in that part of the world, right? It can be a little messy. Well, how in the world did that stay there if it was not true? And how in the world did 5,000 people 
come to know Christ and walk away from their families and their family religion all on one single day in the day of Pentecost if they did not believe something that happened just around the corner from where they were hearing the message. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? It's a big thing. Let's go to our next slide. You can see this is actually the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where they believe Jesus was buried underneath it. That's still standing in Jerusalem's Christian quarter. And one of those things having to do with the city being quartered up into a Muslim quarter, into a Christian quarter, a Jewish quarter, et cetera, et cetera. Let's keep moving. Some other things very quickly that the Apostle Paul's writing to the Corinthians in AD 50 basically contain clear evidence of his belief in the resurrection. And I want to share this with you because you have probably heard, I heard this talking to somebody literally about a week and a half ago. They said, well, nobody believed that Jesus was actually the Messiah until 300 AD because that's what happened and on and on. And it sounds like it's, you know, kind of semi-intellectual, but that's not true. The passages of scripture that he wrote in 50 AD tell us very clearly that he believed in a resurrection and many others did as well. And so it sounds a little intellectual, but it's not actually true. The early church fathers were still fighting a disciple stole the body story. That argument of how he was gone still proves that he was gone. Don't miss that point. And then finally, every single disciple except for John was martyred rather than turn their back on their faith. And that says a lot. Y'all know why conspiracies usually don't hold together? Because people got big mouths. That's why. And you know what? And when it starts to hurt, they turn their back on something that they know to be a lie. But 11 of those men, the one who replaced Judas, all 11 of those men died a painful death. Peter, crucified upside down, rather than recant his faith in the risen Lord that he had seen with his own eyes, touched with his own hands, heard with his own ears. He did not. All 11 of them went to their death and John went to prison until he was an old man. It it, it says something powerful. But can I share with you, it's changed my life. All of this stuff matters, but it's not the only thing for me. For me, I know that I'm a better man, I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, I'm a better son, I'm a better brother, and on and on down the line, whenever God and his son Jesus are at the top of my priority list. But when Randy becomes the top of Randy's priority list, stuff falls apart and people get hurt and crazy things that I don't want to happen start happening. And when I need God to show up the most, he always does. Usually after I want him to, but he always does before it gets too late. Can I get an amen? You've had that happen, right? Amen. I mean, that has happened to you. It's happened to me. So how is it possible that me putting me first doesn't work in my life, but me putting Christ first always does? And why is it? that somebody can say, I got religion, and it's almost another way of saying, I'm turning my life around, and I'm becoming a better person. 
How is that possible? Because it is Jesus at work, even still to this day, not in a tomb, not a stolen body, but a risen, living Lord that appeared to other people and gave them a chance to be reconciled to God. And so I share with you today, as a man whose life has been changed because Christ didn't do the temporary thing, but he did the eternal thing, my life has been changed. How about you? Can I get an amen? I mean, did God change your life? Amen. Okay, so if he did, let's talk about some of those barriers to living according to hope. Let's keep moving here very quickly. First Corinthians says, if we have hope only for this life, we're of all people to be most pitied. In other words, we have hope that is for this life, but we have hope past and beyond this life. Here's what I would tell you. I'm a pastor, as you know, <laughs> and around uh, all the pastors, it's kind of like this funny little thing, and they say, well, a pastor does all the marrying and all the burying in a town, right? That's what happens, Like right? I've done a lot of marrying, and I've done a lot of burying of folks as they've passed away, and I often find myself on those days of funerals. And I literally find myself saying the same thing over and over and over again. And it basically is just this. I don't know how people who don't believe in Jesus get through a day like today. I'm here to tell you that hope for me is not hope for a good life now. Hope for me is hope now, but even as this life declines in value and quality, I'm getting closer and closer and closer to being more alive than I've ever been before in my entire existence. When I am in the presence of the one who has created me and a home that he created for me. So I have hope that even when my life is over, my existence does not end. I am in the presence of the God who made me. And I'm here to tell you, if you have hope only for this life, you're of all people to be most pitied because you know that there's nothing but the grave that is waiting for you. And there's something so final and so futile about that feeling. But with Jesus coming out of that tomb and appearing to his disciples and being there to say, what do you need for you to be able to believe that I am who I say I am? And by the way, I am the great. I am in the whole universe. I am here so that you might believe. How can you miss it? And how can you live life without it when it's right there and all you gotta do is just grab it? So let's keep moving here very quickly. I hope that you will live in hope. And as you go forward, even if you are a believer, you leave with hope. That we believe only in what we can do for ourselves. That's a huge barrier to you actually living a hopeful life because you know as well as I do that there is an end to your energy. <laughs> there is an end to your ability. There are things that you just simply cannot do, but you know they still need to get done in your life. Can I get an amen? Amen. I mean, that happens, right? You need stuff that you can't do for yourself. And somehow, some way, we need an intervention 
and God does that very thing for us. Let's go to our next slide, and I want to show this to you very quickly. A week later, his disciples were in the house. Thomas was with them, and though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then that is a earlier in that passage, on the evening of that first day of the week. In other words, Sunday when he rose, that evening he shows up when the disciples were together, everybody except for Judas, who betrayed him, and Thomas, who was not there. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He came to them because he knew that they needed him in their life. I don't know if you've come to this realization yet, but I promise you there will be a day where you are fully aware that you need something in your life that only God can provide. Can I just tell you, can I just say it? For the most part, most of us do pretty good until we're in our 30s. I'm just gonna call it like it is. Because most of the time our bodies hold together. We don't really have to worry about those things. Kind of everything works like it's supposed to work. Anybody in your 40s know where I'm going with this? <laughs> right? Things start falling apart. <laughs> things start going haywire. Things that you thought you had nailed down aren't quite so nailed down. Things you thought you had tucked up and tidied are not tucked and tidied no more, including finances, including careers, including marriages, on and on and on and on it goes. And then suddenly you're faced with something that you never thought was gonna be a problem for you and yet there it is and your whole world is rattled. Can I get an amen from somebody in their 40s or 50s or 60s? Can I get an amen? Amen. It happens. And for some of you who aren't 30 yet, enjoy it. <laughs> it will go off the rails. Now, I'm not saying that with glee, and I'm not happy to be the one to tell you that this is going to happen, but I'm here to tell you, be prepared. And there are times where you're going to come to the end of yourself, and when that happens... Man, it's good to know that there is such a thing as a Jesus Christ who is the savior of the world and who has conquered death and more. Let's keep moving very quickly. Okay, barriers to living in hope. We trust only in what we can fully understand. If you read that passage of scripture along, you might've even noticed it. Let's go to our next slide. Peter and John come into the empty tomb and I enlarged it and underlined it, but I want you to see that he saw and he believed when he was there in the tomb, but then notice the next verse. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. In other words, you and I can walk by faith even when we don't have every single part of the faith figured out. I don't know what it is about our world, but recently it feels like if you're not 100% sure about stuff, you are not a believer at all. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes there are going to be things in your spiritual life that you don't fully understand. And I'm, <clears throat> is this thing on? Can we talk? I'm a pastor and sometimes I don't fully understand the spiritual world. I'm supposed to. People expect that from me, but just real talk with real people in real world, sometimes I don't fully understand. Stuff happens, and I go, Lord, I don't see it. <laughs> I just don't understand what's happening here because it just doesn't make sense to me. But the truth is, is that even when I don't understand, 
I can still walk by faith. Because faith is believing in advance what will only make sense when seen in reverse, according to Philip Yancey. And so this is true. Even when I don't know what God is up to, I know God's up to something, and I know he's up to something good. And that's important to know. All right, very quickly, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping it up. Let's go, let's go. All right, barriers to living in hope, we trust only in what we can see right now. And I will share with you, this is one of my very favorite passages of scripture. This passage when Thomas says, unless I see it with my own eyes, unless I feel it with my own hands, I'm not going to believe in this crazy story that I have no precedence for. Let's go to our next slide. Here's what we know. The grave is the place where, humanly speaking, hope dies. That's where Thomas is living. It just doesn't make sense. I got no precedent for it. It's over because he's dead. But for those who know Christ, the grave is the place where our greatest hope actually begins. Here's what I'm here to share with you. Because of Easter, we can have hope in the hopeless places. We can have hope for Sunday coming even when we're walking through a dark Good Friday. Even when Saturday and nothing's happening, we have no idea where God is, but he feels like he's a thousand miles away. We know that even when we don't see it, feel it, hear it, we know that God is still at work. We know that eventually Sunday morning always comes. And so because of that, we can have hope even in the hopeless places. It's so important that you and I live with hope. It will change our outlook. It will change our testimony. It'll change our families. It'll change your life if you can live with the living hope because of who Jesus is. Let's go to our next slide. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. And that is where we would end the story. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus has more for Thomas. He's met him where he is. He's given him the exact thing he's asked for. And he's shown himself in a way that speaks to Thomas's very heart of hearts. But he does not leave him in the immaturity of that. Instead, he looks at him and he says, Thomas, you see, and so you believe. But there's a whole nother level of blessing a whole nother level of happiness, a whole nother level of faith for you to engage in, and that is the ability to believe even when you have not yet seen. Living hope. Living in hope. And it is so vital. It is so available for all of us. But we have to come to him. Now, let me just share with you. I will tell you that I believe in the God who sent his son to give us what 
we need. Not the one who gives us what we deserve, but gives us what we need. Here's the only thing that I would ask of you. If you're asking and he gives you what you need, can you do me the favor of saying, okay, God, I will walk by faith and not by sight. Because for most of us, we play this game with God that he didn't come to play games. He came to give you what you need. God has given me all that I have needed to put my whole faith in him. He has spoken to me in ways that I can't even really verbalize. I know he's there because he gave me something that could have been signed with my name and a letter on it. I mean, it's that much for me. But what he's asking for me is to say, okay, now that I've given you everything that you ask for, can you begin to live by faith and not by sight? If he does that for you, don't be surprised, but also don't change the game. Don't switch it up on him. Don't say, okay, but now do this. No. Let him be Lord. And let him be God. All right. I tell you what, I'm just going to end right there, but let's check out this movie. I think it'll be a blessing to you guys. We're, we're bringing it to a close. Let's check it out. I've been caught outright and dragged straight into open daylight. Bystanders gawking, the village women absorbing every morsel of gossip, Common decency dictated that the shame of the moment was enough. But the law called for something greater. My life. Of course, a long audience followed behind. Don't think I didn't recognize a couple of them. Their words condemned me, but they didn't dare look me in the eye. I did everything to try to cover my shame, but I couldn't hide from the onlookers or this holy man whose feet they threw me to. I was finished. I stared at the ground when he said that whoever was sinless, they should go first. They should throw the first stone. squeezed my eyes shut, grasping at the gravel, waiting for the end of my life to unfold. Nothing, though. Then footsteps, except they were walking away. I looked up. Is there no one left to accuse you, he asked me. No, I don't either. He said, go and sin no more. Accusers, that's how he ended up on the cross. And as he hung there dying, he didn't say, I am finished. He said, it, it is finished. That's something different. 
That's a different thing. It means that something is accomplished. Restored. He restored my hope, my self-respect and my dignity. I didn't even know I had any left. <laughs> On a day when I thought that my life was finished, the only man there holy enough to demand justice handed me mercy. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving each and every one of us all we have needed so that we might see you as the Savior and Lord of our world and of our own lives. Lord, the, the old saying was that if our greatest need had been education, you would have sent us a teacher. If our greatest need would have been monetary, you would have sent us a, a financier. If our greatest need was entertainment, then you would have sent us an actor or a singer. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, you sent us a savior. Thank you, God, for taking our world of death and no hope and brought into it instead life and freedom and purpose and hope. Dear God, thank you. May we live in light of the fact that you have changed us and changed our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.